Whether you are a furniture finisher, DIYer, or someone who is in the marketplace to buy a unique, one-of-a-kind piece of refinished furniture, today's podcast is for you. We are going to discuss what to look for when shopping for an old piece to refinish. And on the flip side, we're going to discuss what to look for when shopping for an old piece that has been refinished, a quality, quality piece to display in your home. We'll talk about the art of negotiating as well. But well, we're excited to have a guest on with us today who has all the answers and more. <laughs> Our guest is Jennifer Beck with Say by Design. Jennifer is an award-winning furniture finisher and has been refinishing for a few years now. She is the daughter in a mother-daughter team, and they are incredibly successful, not just with refinishing, but also with their Instagram account. They are quite popular as noted by their most recent follower count, which is now at 300 and 29,000. That's like incredible. It is. Welcome back, Jennifer. <laughs> Hi, Lane. How are you doing? It's a pleasure to be here. Always good to have you on. And you know, I was looking yesterday and you have been on probably seven or eight times. Some of those were uh, special recognitions, yes. mm -hmm. like accolades from other people who admire you. And then there were some awards. And then we've had you on just to chat. And one of the most popular podcasts that we had was with you talking about marketplace, Facebook marketplace. I've gotten a lot of so, feedback um, from people on that. I've had several people reach out and say how helpful it was. So it's really exciting for me to be able to help to share with y'all, not just about the refinishing side, but about the business portion of it as well, because that's equally important. Well, you, you are so kind because you always, in fact, I was going to mention this. One of the cool aspects of your Instagram account is that we get to see what's going on, how you run your business. Mm -hmm and the kind of pieces that you bring to uh, refinish, and really more importantly, the incredible transformation that they undergo. Uh, we have a lot of podcast friends that are furniture finishers, but also folks now that are watching on YouTube who are intrigued by what refinishers offer to the marketplace and are interested in purchasing these incredibly beautiful and unique pieces to adorn their homes. So we have lots to discuss, as I mentioned earlier. Yes. But before we do that, we have to talk about an old frame, Jennifer, <laughs> that you just highlighted on Instagram. I'm so, I'm so excited I mean, to talk about like, the frame. I, yeah, I know. It's so crazy because I think if I'm not mistaken, you found it at an estate That's sale. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And you were drawn to this piece. So this is what intrigues me. You were drawn to this piece, I think, because of the photograph yes. of the fact that it was an old frame. That's correct. So Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm happy. Tell, tell our audience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when I'm at like an estate sale or an auction or anything really where I get a chance to, you know, rummage around in old things, of course I'm looking for furniture. That's, that's where my eye goes first. But I am a history lover. I think anybody that's followed us or talked to me at any point knows that. So when I see old photographs like that, that are just, they're there for sale. They're, they've been forgotten. Clearly they're not in someone's home anymore. And, I just, I'm like, I can't let these people's memory just go to waste. Like it just, it genuinely bothers me. Um, and I seen this old photo and I was just like, you know, this is basically free at the cost of it. And I hate to see it go to waste. So I'm going to take it back to the shop with me. We'll hang it up somewhere. And then um, when I got to looking at the frame more, I was looking at the back and I was like, okay, the panel on the back of this is not your normal panel on a picture frame. So I was a little bit... Very suspicious, yes. wasn't it? <laughs> Whenever I find something like that, I look like a thief in there. You can always spot it. Like my mom will see it. I'm like, I get real sneaky and I'm looking at it and pointing at her and I'm like, there's something here. <laughs> there's something here. <laughs> so uh, we scurry out of there with it. We got back to the shop and we actually... It was the end of the day, and I was just like, I can't leave the shop without digging into this frame. Like, I just know that I thought really there may just be a date or a name or something on the back of the photograph mm -hmm. to help identify it. And when we opened it up, um, I got tickled because all these things were in there. And I was just like, okay, it's just going to be some little postcards or something. And then when I pulled out that paper, that um, like newspaper story type thing, and it had the date of 1894 mm -hmm. on it, I was so excited and what was even funnier is I was pulling that out. My mom, which most people know is Sheila, um, she started like hyperventilating. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what? To give her the brown paper yeah, bag. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, there's a picture of George Washington. I thought she meant there was like an actual portrait, like authentic yeah. portrait of him. But it did end up being um, a lithograph from the Ford's, um, Ford, Forbes 
company uh, from 1929, uh-huh. which was also really cool. And then, of course, the photo um, in itself, it was just like a treasure trove in this little picture frame. So that's why I always tell everyone, don't pass stuff over. Take the time. Look through it. Everything we've ever found has come from things that you would never expect to find that in. Mm-hmm. Do you think the people, I know we don't know this, but do you think the, the people who own that frame, like the family that it was in, do you think all the things that were in there had actually been displayed in the frame and people just, and they just kept adding stuff to I, it? Or do you think they were storing it it's, there? I think usually what happens with that is, is a little bit of what you just said. Usually they'll reuse frames and whatever had been in it, they just kind of stack it behind there. But a lot of times, um, and this also goes the same for frames, but as well as like padded seats and old upholstered chairs, um, especially old upholstered dining chairs. They would just use whatever filler they had at that point to, um, to pad the back of that. So there wasn't any movement of the glass in the frame. And it was usually things that they didn't really see any value in. But now, you know, 150 years later or however long it's been, it's, it's fascinating to us. And it's just like a little time capsule that we can dig into. Yeah, well, again, we so appreciate the fact that you um, share oh. your inst- with your Instagram followers because it's so exciting. And it's like, I'm always like, I got to see what she's finding today. <laughs> because it's seriously, though, it's not just, I mean, the frame is such a cool aspect of what, the, what you can find out yes. there. But your furniture pieces as well. I mean, we've had you on the podcast yeah. to talk about if this piece could talk, yes. right? Talking about old pieces and the history behind them. Yes, absolutely. And I, I just wish more people were as diligent as you are at really, you know, going the extra mile to find the history behind these. And things. that's why I, I love the fact that um, our Instagram is a little bit unique in the fact of, of course, we do show the refinished pieces, but we want to show a broad audience of the different aspects mm-hmm. of it because there's so much more than painting a piece. Like there's just so much more that goes into it. And I think it's important, especially what you mentioned earlier about being transparent with clients as well, you know, letting them know what goes into yeah. it and where the pieces came from and, and the history that we're preserving and so on and so forth. And we even get a lot of people that say, you know, you post your, you know, different profits on some pieces. Isn't that, you know, bad for the clients to see that? And I'm like, no, it's not. It's transparent. It helps them to know what right. went into it and how much work it takes and so on and so forth. So I think we've really been blessed with a unique perspective to try to appeal to to both sides of that spectrum. Yeah, well, I know that uh, so many people appreciate that. And I know I'm, uh, I, I'm excited <laughs> to check out, you know, because I, I just I think that's cool to be able to, to find uh, artifacts that have so much historical meaning to Absolutely. them. Um, it's like, it's, it's so important today, I think in, in many respects, mm-hmm. but, um, well, let's, let's focus okay. first, uh, on what to look for when shopping for a piece to refinish. And then we'll talk about, um, what customers should look for when they're buying, uh, from a refinisher. Yeah. And I just want to say something there about that. And I think all professional refinishers who do, who go the extra mile to work hard will appreciate this second mm-hmm. portion of what we're going to talk to uh, about in, in a little yeah. bit, because I think as in any industry, there are people maybe who jump into that industry, maybe for the wrong yes. reasons, but they jump in and they don't do, they don't, <laughs> they don't uh, go that extra they, mile they to make sure that these pieces are the quality pieces that they began when they were created mm-hmm. many, many years yeah. ago. And that they continue to be that today Mm -hmm. so that when you're selling them, people are getting not only one of a kind, but a phenomenal piece of furniture that's going to last for generations to come. So, um, but we'll talk about that in a minute for the refinisher. Who's like, man, I got to find a piece. I'm struggling with what to look for. Yeah. Give us some tips. And and I just want to say to our viewers and listeners as well, Jennifer is in her studio. She's got some pieces behind Mm -hmm. her. And on occasion she may, uh, she may showcase some yeah. of those to better illustrate what she's going to highlight. So if you're listening and not viewing, we certainly encourage you to go to the YouTube as well. And yeah, absolutely. So you got somebody out there, they're looking for a piece. What, or is there a systematic way 
that you go about shopping when you, whether you're at now I know there's a couple dynamics here and we can go over mm -hmm. both of those whether you're shopping on Facebook Marketplace you see a P mm -hmm. piece what questions to ask those folks yeah. that are selling and then secondarily you're at an estate sale or you stopped at a yard sale or you're at a consignment shop mm -hmm. when you see a piece you're like oh that's really beautiful like what are you looking for first? Absolutely. So there's a couple of different aspects to this and and you you hit the nail on the head. There are two different points. So let's first say that you're looking online. So you're on Facebook Marketplace or you're on an online auction. You're at a little bit of a disadvantage in the sense that you can't see the piece. You can't really inspect it. So I do always tell everyone it is a little bit of a gamble. So you want to do your best to buy low in those situations because on online auctions, you have to pay up front. Most people on Facebook Marketplace now want you to go ahead and send them a payment to hold it. And that's completely understandable. So you have to be prepared to take that gamble. So I always recommend trying to buy a little lower in those circumstances in case it is a fail, because occasionally that will happen. But I can honestly say that when you're educated on what to look for over time, those losses become few and far between. So if you're online, whether, um, well, if it's on an online auction, you can't ask questions. So that's, mm -hmm. that's something to keep in mind. You've got to go off the photos and sometimes you just got to go off of your gut. So look through those photos. You want to make sure you're looking at joints. You want to make sure you're looking at dimensions because they'll usually have dimensions listed for you. That's got me before. I bought what I thought was a very large mid-century dresser and it turned out to be a very, very tiny little cedar chest. So <laughs> make sure you check your dimensions. Almost dollhouse size, right? Yes. <laughs> I got it. I was like, did I buy this? <laughs> so keep that in mind. Um, Facebook Marketplace is going to be a little bit better for you because you can interact with that seller and ask them a few questions. Now, this is going to seem counterintuitive, but I've told a lot of my followers this, and this is very important. Sometimes you're going to get great listings, okay? They're going to be very thorough in the description. They're going to be very thorough in their pictures. They're going to have a great price, and you're probably not going to get it because someone else has already beat you to the punch <laughs> on it. So the I can honestly say the best pieces that I have found on Facebook Marketplace had terrible photos, they had a terrible listing, mm -hmm. and their description was basically non-existent. So I actually encourage people to look for that. I want you to use your gut and try to find those listings that don't have great photos because usually that's why they're still there and you can get a better deal on them because they're still there. So at that point, you can reach out and be like, hi, you know, um, don't send the generic message. Don't just click the generic Facebook marketplace yeah. message that says, is this still available? Because most people are not going to answer that. Instead, reach out and say, hey, I'm really interested in this piece. If it doesn't have dimensions listed, ask them about that. They may or may not have it or at least be able to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. Let them know that you're a serious buyer and say, I love this piece. Is there any way that you could consider X amount of whatever they have? Mm -hmm. When it comes to negotiating, this is my recommendation. People are going to do it the way they want to do it. But my recommendation is offer about 25% less of what they have it listed mm. in those situations. Um, so if they have it listed for $100, offer them $75. They're probably going to counter you back around $85 mm -hmm. or so. Be prepared for that and kind of know up front what you can afford. Don't haggle them on it too much to be fair in your negotiations because that will build up a good reputation for you regardless of whether you're buying or selling. Um it's also important to note if you are on Facebook Marketplace and you see a great listing and the piece is still available, you need to offer them asking price. It's like if you know it's a great deal, do not try to save $25 more and get it because you're going to make that profit back. Okay. And then also let them know that, you know, you're unless they have it listed that they only accept cash. Be like, I may not be able to pick this up until tomorrow, but I'm happy to go ahead and send you payment. But make sure you look at that seller's reviews as well to make sure they're they're trustworthy and whatnot. So keep that in mind. So shifting to the point of if you're in store, let's say you're mm -hmm. at a garage sale, you're at a thrift store, you know, whatever, wherever you're at. You want to first look for a couple of different things. Your first thing you want to do, number one off the bat, is make sure it's not MDF. MDF is, um, there's a couple of different names for it. But it is a type of composite wood like shavings and glue mm -hmm. that have been compacted together 
Those are not going to be high quality. They are going to swell at some point. The only time I would recommend that is if you're just trying to pick up something for yourself to DIY for a specific use, that's fine. But as far as reselling it, it's an absolute no. So you first want to make sure you're either finding something that's solid wood or at least wood veneer. Mid-century modern pieces are notorious for having a high-quality composite wood with a wood veneer over it. That is still good quality. So that is a whole different podcast in itself (laughs) in how to identify those things. Um, But there are really some great um, articles online that you can Google that can help to guide you on that a little bit. But that's going to be your first uh, most important thing to do. Mm. Then from there, you want to start looking at brands and construction. So you can guarantee that pretty much any piece made around 1940 or later is either going to have some type of label on the back or on the bottom, or you might get lucky with a maker's mark that is inside the drawer. I'll actually show you that here in a few minutes. Um, And you want to look at just the overall style of the piece. Just because a piece is either solid wood or wood veneer, it has a maker's mark, Is it appealing to the audience? Is it going to be something that even after you put time and effort into it, the design is still what it needs to be? Um, The reason I say that is there are a lot of pieces out there from the 1980s that are solid wood, but it does not matter what you do to them. (laughs) They're just outdated. It just wasn't a great time for (laughs) for furniture. Okay, so keep that in mind. You don't want to invest in something that in the end, it still still looks like it's 1988. It is what it is. And then also, when you're looking at older pieces, so if you're looking at something, you're like, okay, I immediately know this is an antique. I don't know anything other than that, but I can tell it's old. It's going to become more difficult for you to identify that because you're going to have to start looking at drawer joints. You're going to have to be looking at back panels to see what the construction is. You want to try to be able to identify what type of wood it is or at least that um, it's going to be something that that can be refinished and refinishers will know what I mean by that. Like some things are just too rough to be saved. You also want to look at if it does have veneer, which most high end antiques did have some type of veneer on it, even from the 1700s. Is it chipping? Can it be saved? If it's too much, can it be removed? Those are all things that need to be going through your mind when you're looking at this. And then also a couple of different things you can look for are locks on a piece. You can kind of tell by the locks what type of age it is. And then also the types of hardware. So whether they're screws or nails, and I actually have some square head um, nails that I can show you and locks to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. So these are all things you want to look at when you are um, in a store and physically looking at a piece. Because number one, it's just an advantage that you have. But number two, you're often going to pay more for a piece when it's in a store. So you want to, when you're investing more in it, you want to be able to make a clearer decision on, on what you're purchasing there. You know, you were talking about uh, uh, veneer and you mm-hmm. mentioned that, uh, you know, that's a lot of times they use veneer many years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes that veneer was not over press board because I, I don't know when the timing of when press board mm-hmm. MDF stuff like that came yeah. about. However, veneer over solid wood. Yes. Was that just strictly for aesthetic reasons as to why they it, did that? It, yes, it was. So a lot of antiques, um, especially um, American made antiques, are usually going to be made out of pine. And when I say pine, I don't mean the new pine that we have that's mm-hmm. really softwood. I'm talking about pine trees that were hundreds and hundreds of years old. They were made out of antique pine or walnut. And while those are beautiful grains, Oftentimes on drawer fronts or doors or even tops, they would use what's called a burl veneer or a mahogany flame veneer, something like that, just because it was a way to get a really unique um, wood grain that stained really well without having that that expense of having that solid piece of wood because the expense would have been far, far more than what someone would have been able to afford at that mm-hmm. point. Um, gotcha. So, yes, it was it was just for aesthetic purposes. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful because I think sometimes we're trained to think that if it's veneer, it's cheap. Mm-hmm. And that's no, not always absolutely. the case. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And you normally, um, usually around like 1950 and after, that's when you're going to start seeing that composite wood with veneer over it. And I try to stress to anyone, if you see a piece anywhere between like 1950 to 1970, that true mid-century period, you're mm-hmm. going to most likely see veneer. If you see a mid-century piece that's solid wood, it's important to know that it's most likely from um, overseas. It's probably going to be like Denmark, somewhere like that. So that's something to keep in mind. If you do find a mid-century piece at solid wood, buy it. I don't care what it costs, buy it. <laughs> okay, you get it. <laughs> that's a good rule. I like, yeah. I like those clear-cut rules. <laughs> yes. Um, jumping back just briefly, when you were talking about online auctions, one of the thoughts that I had is if you're not used to online auctions and you use an online auction and you bid on it, is there any safeguards within the online auction so that if you were to go to your pickup place, are you locked in? Like if you go oh, there yeah. and this piece is not what you thought it was, is that a done deal? It's a done deal. Um, really? Now, every every auction company is different. However, nine times out of 10, they're going to have the same standard rules. Usually you have to put a card on file to register to bid on these auctions up front because they're absolute auctions as is it's one and mm-hmm. done. If you get mm-hmm. there and you don't want the piece, you don't have to take it, but you're still paying for it because they will yeah. automatically run your card at the end of that auction. So again, that's where that gamble comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but as you just mentioned, talking about online auctions and, and differing policies and stuff, you probably need just to do your adequate uh, homework into the online mm-hmm. auction that you're checking out as well. Absolutely. Make sure that yes. they're kind of known like, for having good quality stuff, their descriptions are accurate and all of that. Exactly. And that's what I tell everyone. There is a website that you can go on. It's called highbid.com. It's H-I-B-I-D.com. And you can search auctions throughout the whole country. But I do recommend everyone to check with their local auction companies that they know that, um, like us, we're in a small area. We know the auction companies that are doing most of these. And I can honestly say, um, let's say we had 50 auctions we went to. Probably 45 of those are going to be wins. They're going to be great options for us. Um, but again, do your due diligence. If you see a piece on an auction, mark it to watch it and, you know, try to research as much as you can based on the information that you're given. And if it's something that you cannot take that risk on, let it go. You have to be willing to take that risk. And if you are not financially in the point in your business where you can do that, don't do it. Like mm-hmm. you'll, you'll get there. Don't force it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Good, really good advice. Uh, um, so let's jump back to this. You're in the store or you're in the consignment mm-hmm. shop or an antique store. Yeah. Do you have any or do you have any recommendations for folks that maybe are new to refinishing and shopping and they don't have all the knowledge base that you have, that you've gained over the years, that they could, um, any recommendations like they got their phone, mm-hmm. they're standing in yes. front of a piece. Is there anything that they can do that will help assist yes. them in trying to figure out what, what whether this is good or not. Google image search is your best friend. Okay. <laughs> so anyone okay. that has a smartphone should have a Google search bar somewhere on their phone and it'll have a little camera on there. If you'll click that mm-hmm. camera, you can take a picture with your phone and it will do an image search across the internet. Sometimes it's a win. Sometimes it doesn't pull up anything. But if it's a well-known design, you're going to find similarities. That doesn't mean that it's going to be the exact make of whatever it pulls up Mm -hmm. online, but it will at least give you a description kind of of what you're looking at. Uh, What I don't recommend doing is taking a picture of a piece and then posting it online and saying, should I buy this? Because most likely (laughs) it's going to be gone by the time you go back. Definitely don't give your um, whereabouts, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, seriously, I know that sounds so simple, but Google image search is your best friend. Or if you open a drawer, let me actually just grab this and show you. Okay. Let's see here. Because I can show you two things at one time. That sounds good. Let's see here. All right, let me see if I can get this up here where you can see it. There's going to be okay. a mark right there. I see you. You, mm-hmm. don't, you don't have to see the name of it, but there's going to be usually a mark. Look in the top left-hand drawer. Most of the time, if, if it does have a mark, it's going to be in your top left-hand drawer possibly right-hand drawer, and or if you have just center drawers. Anyways, Mm -hmm. look at the top. 
there's going to be a mark in there. Get on Google if you're not comfortable doing the Google image search. Get on there and type in the name of that manufacturer. That's going to let you know where it's from, where it originated. And it'll also let you know what type of construction methods they use. Um, just take five minutes and, and search that. And that'll let you kind of know the quality of the piece. And you can go from there. It's also important to have a budget. So if you are starting out new and you just have $25 to spend, that's okay. Don't force it to fit. You may see an excellent piece, but if you're not there financially yet, it just, it is what it is. So don't, don't yeah. stress it. Um, but yes, definitely use the Google image search. If, if you just have no idea what you're looking for and then look at uh, maker marks as well. And then also okay. study drawer joints because you can do a quick search online and see kind of the age of a piece based on the type of joints they have. So when you're looking at drawer joints on the side here, that's mm -hmm. going to make a big difference for you. And I'll go more into that here in a few minutes. Okay. So that's extremely helpful. You know, one of the things, and I don't want to get ahead of what you're sharing, but yeah. uh, this is almost a joke. So, you know, if you're buying a car, you know, the typical process that you go up, for some reason, you kick the tires. I, I don't know what kicking <laughs> the tires is supposed to do. <laughs> Make sure they don't fall off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess it just looks, well, is this thing sturdy? Yeah. So yeah. obviously you don't go up and kick the piece of furniture, but just from a structural <laughs> standpoint, mm -hmm. is there like... Do you go up to it and, and sort of like, yes, sort of try to shift it to see what kind of stability it has? Absolutely. And so I think it's important to note, it's so funny you brought this up. So, you know, I used to work in furniture, like retail mm -hmm. for many years. People do that with furniture. I have had more people come up and just like jar a piece of furniture to see. And I'm like, okay, everything's going to move when you're doing it that hard. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. So, but you, yeah, you, you do. It's an earthquake uh, test, right? Exactly. Exactly. So you do want to go up to it. These are the first things I do because especially you're usually in a store setting when you do this. There's other people around. There's usually a shop clerk or something kind of in, you know, whereabouts. Open the drawers. See if all the drawers open and close fairly smoothly. No refinisher is going to expect it to be perfect, but just make sure mm -hmm. the drawer face doesn't fall off. I've had it happen. Okay. Mm. <laughs> make sure that the drawers are still intact. Um, kind of just gently push on the side of it to see if it shifts at all. Because if there are any um, structural issues there, it will shift. Sometimes those can be repaired. Sometimes they can't. If you were at a point where you're not comfortable in your skill set yet to completely repair something like that, walk away from it. If yeah. you're further into your journey and you're more comfortable with your skill set, then that may be something that you're okay with, with taking on. So that's not really a hard yes or no on whether you should buy it. You have to just judge what you're comfortable with. Uh, gotcha. But you do want to look at drawer function. You want to look at uh, if it has doors on it. You want to see if when you open the doors, if the door falls off or not. Had that happen. So whenever you open that door, if it does fall off, just look and see. I am so sorry. I knew my dog was fixing hey, a that's bark. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is real life, so right? Th this is real life. And I think UPS <laughs> is delivering something. I'm so sorry. That's fine. No. So, um, Anyways, if you have a door that does fall off, then you want to look at those hinges and see if um, it's going to be loose or not. So, like, it, can it be repaired? Is it is are the the holes wallered out? Wallered? That's me. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, you do want to look for that structure and see if that is going to be an issue for you or not, or if that's something that you're comfortable yeah. with. In there. Okay, yeah. quick quick question. So. Mm -hmm. You are in this store, you're checking the stability of this piece and the door mm -hmm. falls off. Or there's something that's you know, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty pretty important. Yeah. Do you is there negotiating uh power in that? Can you yes. walk up to the desk and say the, this is the door for that piece. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's $50, but will you take 30 for it now? That, the that's door... what I was going to say. Yes, absolutely. Take, take it with you as you're going up there. Take the drawer or the door or the leg or whatever it is. Yeah. Take it with you. Because generally in a thrift store situation, um, if there is damage to it and they are aware of it, they'll actually have that noted or reflected in the price. Um, so if you walk up and see a piece and it's $10 and a leg is hanging off of it, that's probably why it's $10. 
first. Yeah, so just keep right. that in mind. But always ask. I mean, the worst they can say is no. So mm-hmm. always ask. But be fair in your negotiations. If you have a piece that's, you know, they have it priced at $100 and you open up the drawer and the drawer face falls off of it or it's got joints that are busted open or something mm-hmm. like that. Just, you know, go up to them. Be polite. Don't don't be rude. Go up to them and saying, you know, I'm really interested in this piece over here. But I do notice it has a little more issues than what I thought may be reflected in the price. Can you see if y'all would be well, you know, able to accept $70 for the piece? So on and so forth. Um, offer just a little bit lower than what you're willing to pay because they will counter you most of the time. Sometimes you'll get lucky and they'll just be like, yeah, sure. But, you know, have that little bit of cushion there for you. So, yes, absolutely negotiate, but be polite and respectful when you do it because yeah. That old saying, you'll catch more flies with honey than you will vinegar. That's so true. It's very true. Yeah. And I'm sure that it's for, for a refinisher like yourself who does this for a living. You're frequenting these places. They're probably getting to know you. And so you yes. want to maintain that good relationship. I don't yes. even know if this is possible where you have relationships with certain consignment places. And I don't know if they're even allowed to do this where they, they a piece comes in and they're like, Oh, this mm-hmm. is a Jennifer piece. I don't know. Is absolutely. That, does that ever happen? It does. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, I will say this. As our journey has grown, we don't frequent thrift shops as often mm. anymore because we've been so blessed that we found we're able to buy, like I can go to an auction and buy, you know, six pieces if I want to. Yeah. So we're so thankful for that. But yes, absolutely build relationships with those shop clerks because they will help you. They will. Yeah. Not all of them, but there's always going to be that one that will. And we have had that happen before. Mm-hmm. We've actually reached a point now where kind of circling back to what you were talking about earlier of having the the refinishers and the clients all together, you know, here viewing. Yeah. We have clients that reach out to us and say, I seen that you did this piece online. This is something that I just happened to come across and see. I think it would be great for you. And sometimes that's a win. Some of the best pieces we've done have actually come from referrals like that. So, mm-hmm. yes, building those relationships in every aspect is so important because that's what's going to bring longevity to your business. Yeah. So I got this question for you. So you're in yeah. a estate um, sale, consignment shop, uh-huh. yard sale, whatever it is. What is the one thing that really gets you excited when you, what like something in a piece, and okay. maybe this is a hard question because there's so many different types of pieces yeah. out there, but like, what is the one thing you're like, like you said, where you're like, okay, <laughs> you're suspicious. Yeah. People are looking at me getting excited. <laughs> okay. What, what is um, that? Okay. There's probably... There's probably three things, three okay. little things that, that go together. Number one is drawer joints. So you're going to have some drawer joints. And again, like I said, do a little bit of research on this online. There's there's a lot of information out there that can help you. If I see a drawer joint that is what we call a dovetail, but it's um, much more slim. It's a very slim mm-hmm. dovetail. That tells me it was probably made around 1810 or earlier. Mm, I'm wow. excited. Okay, yeah. I'm already like I'm I'm looking for Sheila and I'm like, hey, get over here right now. Okay. So if I see that make space uh, in the truck. Make space, yes, absolutely. Um, if I open a drawer and I see any type of handwriting, whether it be in a drawer, so look, you know, open your drawers. Look, don't 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 get on the ground and crawl around like I have done. I don't <laughs> recommend that. Sometimes it makes for good entertainment, but um If I open a drawer and I see any type of handwriting, which I can tell Mm -hmm. it is old handwriting and it's probably from the maker, Mm -hmm. I don't care what it costs. I'm probably going to buy it. Okay. (laughs) If I have the money, it's coming home with me. But also a third thing that I have, I can show you. I don't know if this will show up on camera, but I'm going to try. Can y'all? Okay. Can you see that? Okay. This is a square head nail. So this is handmade. There are some that were machined, but they still had to be machined by hand, if that makes sense. So if you see a nail, I hope that's focusing, that has a square nail, a square head or a square shaft on it, look on the back panels of pieces. You're going to see some of those sticking out where over time they've just kind of worked their way out a little bit. Mm -hmm. If I see that, I'm excited because I know it's old. And if I'm looking at a piece that I already think is pretty and I see any of those things, I'm 
I am silently jumping up. I've actually probably got really quiet and I'm looking around and I'm like, does anybody else see this? And I'm like, I've literally, I'm like, I've stood over pieces before and I'm like, Sheila, I need you to go tell them that I want this piece right here. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. Don't touch it. (laughs) Don't touch it. So yes, when I see those things, I get extremely excited. We actually had a piece, um, Earlier this year, and I think on one of the podcasts we talked about it, it was an old secretary that was dated 1889. Mm -hmm. And when I opened that drawer and I seen handwriting in there, oh my gosh, I almost hyperventilated. I was so excited. So, yes, if you see that, run. Grab the piece Mm -hmm. and run. Don't steal it, (laughs) but run. (laughs) Wow. So that's three distinctive things. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, you're looking at the joints, you're Mm -hmm. looking at handwriting, and then the nail. And yes. So that's mm-hmm. like, I love that because that's solid stuff that folks can go in. And, it and, uh, it is. And I also for. want to notate that if you do find one of these nails, this is most likely going to be a good indication that this is pre 1800. So wow. when you just get the honor wow. of touching a piece, it's that old that was made by a craftsman of that period. It's just, it just does something to you. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's like the, what we were talking about earlier about the frame piece, just to be able to have that history. Yeah. Um, but then to go the further, obviously the further back you go is even more exciting. Uh, yeah. This is not really part of the podcast necessarily, but what is the oldest piece to date that, that you've been able to sort of assess? Has it been uh, early 1800s, 17, anything late? 1700s? Probably. Um, I could tell you about two different ones. There was a bench that we did, like an old church pew bench that we did years and years ago. This was at the very beginning of our business that I dated probably around like 1780, which was just incredible to get wow. to be able to touch. But recently, something that people can actually see um, is... Just recently, and I'm sure you've seen it, it was a black empire chest of drawers that we stripped down and we restored. Mm -hmm. And that was dated around 1810. And the way we were, I know, (laughs) the way we were able to date that is by looking at the drawer joints. Also, the overall style, because there are some styles that only were done in certain periods. Um, It had that veneer on it that we were talking about. So it was a walnut piece, but it had that fancy burl veneer on there. But also... Like I say, check everything. As Sheila was cleaning it out, um, the drawer bottom that slides in there, mm-hmm. she was looking and we seen this little bitty shred of paper that probably was the size of um, like a ladybug. That's how much we could see. And she was like, there's something here. So we slowly pulled that drawer bottom out and there was a, a piece of paper where you could see where someone had been... Um, I don't know if they were taking names, but it was some type of court document. And you could just tell by the handwriting. And here's another interesting piece of history. Fun fact. We knew based on the handwriting that it was like pre-Civil War because they used to use iron in their ink. So over time, that ink would go from black to brown. And this ink was solid brown. So we knew it had to be an iron-based ink. So that helped us to to put it back further as well. So um, just all of these different things, all of these things can help you to assess a date when you don't actually have a physical date to look at on those pieces. Oh, that's so interesting because there's been times when I've seen documents in in museums, old documents uh-huh. uh, where actual handwriting and they're usually brown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that makes sense. And that's, that's, that's what so causes cool. it. Yep. Yeah. So do you have anything you want to show us uh, visually uh, Mm -hmm. with respect to drawers, drawer joints, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be happy to. So um, and I know that the camera is not super great here, but a couple of things. So, of course, like I said before, square head nails. These are going to be very, very important for you. Okay. Also, if you are looking for a date on something that um, you're like, I'm thinking this is maybe around 1900, like that, that time period of pieces, locks are your best friend. More often than not, a lock is going to tell you a lot about a piece. So if you can pull the lock out, usually on the back here, I'm hoping this will focus. I don't yeah, know if it will that's, or not. That's good. You can see the dates listed on here. So that helped us to know that this piece was 1860. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1865 or 1885. I don't remember off the top of my head. 
locks are your best friend. That is my go-to. If I don't immediately see a date before I look at anything else, if it has a lock on it, I'm pulling a lock out and checking that. You might have to clean it really well because a lot of times those things will hide from you because I did not see these dates immediately until I cleaned it. So keep that in mind. Also, now this will require doing a little bit of research online because, again, taking an hour and researching on Google the different types of drawer constructions will tell you oh, so many things. But on drawers, there are two things you can look at immediately. So first, look at your drawer. So this one right here, notice how these dovetail joints have a large space in between those. So there's only three joints on the side. That right there tells me that this piece is 1800s because after that, you're going to have your more standard machined dovetail joints, which I can show you. Which are more systematic and patterned. Mm-hmm. Do you see those right there? Yeah, mm-hmm, right. They're, they're going to be very consistent in size. So that lets you know they're machine-made. I think, I want to say around 1910 is when machine-made um, dovetail joints came about. I could be incorrect on that exact date, but I know it's a general ballpark of that area. So those are things you can look for to just kind of give you an idea. Also, drawer bottoms. So I don't know if you can see this, but there's a lip right here. And you can also see the saw marks that are on the bottom of yeah. these. You can tell that that drawer bottom is from the 1800s just based on the cut of it and the way it's constructed. Opposed to this piece. See how this looks much more manufactured and machined? It does not look like it's been cut by hand. You also have a rail brace that's across the bottom of this. This piece right here is from around 1950. So that can give you an idea of how much changed in about 50 years, uh, 50, 60 years on, on construction there. So it's very important to keep that in mind. Also, one other thing. When I tell you to look on antiques for um, veneer on really old pieces, this drawer that I've been showing you, it's solid walnut. But you're going to see a little chip right there on the front of this. That's veneer. It looks like solid wood, but it's actually a very thick veneer that was put on there for a very specific aesthetic. Keep that in mind. If you see that, do not let that scare you. That's still a very high quality piece. So I think that I think that was all I had there. Um, but that can kind of help to give you an idea of what you're going to be looking at. If you get a joint on a drawer, and unfortunately I don't have one of these here, that you see the drawer when you see the drawer face and this part right here, if it's just a solid line, unless other factors point to the fact that it's an antique, it's most likely a reproduction. Gotcha. There are some, yeah, there are some reproductions that can be worth something, but that takes a little bit of time and knowledge and just compilation over time to figure out which, which one of those are worth investing in and what are not. If you're looking for a piece that you just want to paint and just make a little bit of money on, it's fine. But if you're really looking to grow your business to save true antiques and to bring pieces back that are good quality, that's not going to be what you want to go for. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, um, as you probably know, and as most furniture refinishers realize that when they're in the business of refinishing fur furniture, there's always those people out there that absolutely hate paint on wood furniture. <laughs> I absolutely. mean, it's just, it's, it's like a nightmare for them. Yeah. Um, but my question to you is when you find these really old pieces, is there a place where you go, this is really old and I'm, con I'm even, even though it would be beautifully refinished, I'm concerned about devaluing it if we did anything to it. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. ever an issue for you? Um, I have not run across any pieces yet that I felt like any type of refinishing would devalue it. There are pieces out there, but I do, I'm glad you brought this up. I want to stress, and I love the show Antiques Roadshow, okay? I love that show, but... A lot of people will watch that show and then just assume that every yeah. antique is worth that. 
it's important to know that when you're watching shows like that, they have a massive amount of pieces that come through there. They only show a few of those pieces, and there's a reason why. Because usually if you have a piece that's going to be truly devalued by refinishing it, it's most likely has some specific history attached to it. So it's going to have like, if I found a piece, for instance, that was signed by Duncan Fife himself, when there is this wide range of Duncan Fife style furniture, if I found a piece with his signature on it, I would not touch that. I may clean it and then I would contact um, an appraiser and go a different route to try to get that to a true collector. Um, if I found a piece that I knew was in Thomas Jefferson's home, and it was a chair he sat in, that would be different. Yeah. <laughs> but usually those pieces have some type of historical significance, and they also have to have proof of that significance. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to remember that. There are also um, a few things you want to look at is, for instance, that chest that I just stripped the black paint off of and restored mm-hmm. it. You want to look at what serves the piece best. I'm not against paint and I'm not against wood. I love them both. I, I really am. I think you have to do what's appropriate for the era of the piece. So, for instance, that piece, the grain truly was beautiful and it stained very well. So it, to me, was best restored. Not all wood grain, even on antiques, is stain worthy. And I think a lot of people don't take that into consideration So if I stain a piece and it's very blotchy and it just doesn't have a pretty grain pattern to it, it does not serve that piece best. Um, Paint has been used for centuries and it preserves things really, really well. So I think the key is whatever you do, whether you strip and stain, you strip and leave it all raw, if you paint it, do it elegantly, do it in a good quality. So that's really where it comes from. Because I've even had people tell me, you know, I'm a wood purist. I don't like paint on wood, but you did this really well and I can respect that. So it it's about doing a good job. Please, for the love of everything, don't slap paint. Don't just slap paint on something because <laughs> that, it's usually the poor quality. I'm telling you, it happens. Yeah. It's usually the poor quality that has made someone not like paint on wood. It's usually been very poorly done. And that yeah. is, that's where that stereotype comes from. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you bringing up the Antiques Roadshow too, because who doesn't yeah. love that show? Yes, but but I've so also good. seen, <laughs> I have also seen, uh, I don't remember what it was, but it was an episode where they showed some stuff that wasn't of value. Now, they'll mm-hmm. plug in a piece yeah. periodically that doesn't have value. But this show, if I remember right, it was many years ago. Um, it was people who thought they had something that was extremely valuable, and it wasn't. And it wasn't just necessarily yeah. artifacts. It was even furniture. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a good point. Just because it's old doesn't yeah. make it valuable. Um, exactly. You, you you qualified things to look for. And then the second thing is, if you do think you have a piece that's valuable, then simply call an appraiser before you exactly. do anything to it. If that's exactly. Concerned. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So those are really good points. Um, you've helped us tremendously. So I do want to um, touch on those folks that are not furniture finishers, but they have become captivated by what furniture finishers are doing in the industry. And so they love the fact that they're not going to a store and buying a piece of furniture that has been duplicated in a, in a manufacturing mm-hmm. facility of recent yes. days. They're excited about buying something that's old, but that's been brought into um, you know, 2023 into 2024. What can those yeah. people look for? Uh, to make sure that they're getting good quality, quality. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so important because like you mentioned earlier, just like in any industry, there are some people that have entered the refinishing world and unfortunately they don't provide the quality that they should. And that, that can give us a bad rap. (laughs) So, and I feel for those people because we've all been there. So it actually kind of goes hand in hand with what a refinisher would look for when they're buying a piece, but just a little bit of a different aspect. So If you do have the advantage of looking at a piece in person, which not many people do, a lot of people buy online nowadays, um, you want to do the same things. You want to first check the function of the piece. Are the drawers working properly? Are the doors working properly? Is it setting level? If it's not setting level, it may just be that the floor that it's setting on is the issue. So kind of ask um, the refinisher about that. You want to make sure that the paint has been applied professionally. It does not matter if it has been sprayed, if it has been brushed, if it has been rolled. 
just make sure that the finish feels clean and smooth, that it doesn't feel chalky, that it doesn't have a lot of ridges in it from, um, like a lot of paint is applied with poor brushes, um, mm -hmm. which zebra brushes are fantastic. Just plug. Um, <laughs> but, um, but a lot of times people will use, um, uh, you know, poor quality brushes and that'll cause a lot of issues or poor quality paint. Here's um, a tricky thing. I never, ever, ever don't walk up to a refinisher's piece and start scratching on it. However, yeah. you want to make sure the paint has adhered well. So an uh, easy way to do that is look at when the drawers open and close or the doors open and close. Are there a lot of scratches on those areas? If there are a lot of scratches, that tells me one of two things. Either number one, the paint has not been applied um, in good quality or you have some rubbing issues, which also needs to be addressed by the refinisher. Now, I do want to notate, you don't ever want to expect perfection from a piece that's been refinished because these pieces are done by hand. They usually have age to them, so they're going to have some character. So if that's not what you're looking for, then refinished furniture is not the route that you need to go. Um, but I, so I always just want to point that out. But you're also, nine times out of ten, these clients are buying stuff they've either seen online or on Etsy or, or whatnot. And so they don't have the advantage of being able to see the piece in person. So you want to first look for reviews on whoever you're purchasing from. If they are a newer refinisher and they don't have a big review portfolio, that's fine. Ask them to for links to their social media so maybe they can see. Like That's why I love Instagram. It's kind of just like a portfolio for me for clients to see previous yeah. work, to see what we're capable of and so on and so forth. So definitely do your research on the seller. Look for good descriptions. Make sure you ask any questions that you have up front. A good refinisher will have all of those questions answered for you mm -hmm. in the description. But make sure you ask about pickup delivery options, ask about dimensions, ask about out, uh, maybe the quality of the products that they're using. Mm -hmm. These are things that you can ask that often will already be addressed in the description where you don't even have to do that. Yeah. If you have the opportunity to see a video of a piece, that is going to give you the best representation. So you can look at photos all day long, but photos, unfortunately, by some refinishers that are not as honest can be heavily edited to see what you they want you to see, but nothing of um, like the true piece. If you look at a video, that's much more difficult for them to edit anything out, and that's going to give you the best representation on color. It's also going to let you see any little imperfections that may be there, and there probably are going to be some, but you have to figure out what you can tell has been imperfections just because that's the piece versus just a cheap job that's been done to it. So those are all kind of things that you can look at there. And always ask people questions. Uh, the biggest thing is on color. Make sure you ask mm -hmm. the refinisher, were these pictures or videos, were they in natural light? Were they in warm light? That lets them to know because colors change with lighting. And that can just help to reduce any conflict that may arise. Um, so I think it's really just about doing your due diligence and researching the seller, trying to look for things that you yeah. know would be an issue for you. Yeah, all good stuff. In fact, uh, I'm glad you addressed the <laughs> going up and scraping uh, yeah. <laughs> a piece. <laughs> yes, please don't um, do that, but there are ways to check. <laughs> yeah, and so it's so good that you suggested that using the drawers and doors to mm -hmm. see, because a lot of times those are painted on the sides to see exactly. if the paint is coming off. So excellent, excellent tip. Mm -hmm. um, what about negotiating? Because uh, I know that's a sensitive subject because you guys put in so much work. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so do you feel like from a representing, I know that's hard representing all refinishers, but do you leave room for people to negotiate with you? I, I do to an extent. So and I mm -hmm. think I'm so glad you asked about that because it wasn't even something I thought about. So, of course, refinishers buying a piece that needs to be refinished, I absolutely recommend negotiating. Polite, sure. respectful negotiating. When you're buying a piece from a refinisher that has already had this put into it and they're doing it as a business, it's a little more of a sensitive subject. Um, I do usually... Well, let me rephrase that. I used to notate in my listings that pricing was firm. However... As I've grown, I found that I don't have to do that as much because people are, they, they know that my pricing is firm. But I have negotiated with someone in the past that was very respectful in the way they did it. And what we agreed on 
was when you, as a refinisher, accept negotiation or as you as a client are offering negotiation, it's important that it's a win for both sides. So Mm -hmm. if you're a client and say a a refinisher has a piece listed for $1,000 and they offer, um, they already have delivery, free delivery for you. One way that you may want to consider negotiating is if the piece has been sitting for a while. If it's a brand new listing, it's usually not fair to offer negotiation on that because this listing is just now getting out to the public. So if I do have someone that reaches out to me and tries to negotiate when I just listed a piece, I will tell them pricing is firm. I appreciate you reaching out and I will reaffirm the qualities of that piece. Um, be like, you know, if it's still available at this point, please reach out to me again. But from a client's point of view, you could reach out and say, I see you have this piece listed for $1,000 with free delivery. Is there any way you would consider, you know, 900 or 925 if I made the trip to come and pick it up and load it myself? Mm-hmm. That way it's a win for both sides. And the refinisher will probably say, you know, I really wasn't prepared to accept a lower price, but this could save me some time and fuel and effort. So this is a win mm-hmm. on both sides. So yes, you can offer negotiation, but just you're not going to save a whole lot. You don't want to lowball offer a refinisher because at that point, they're probably going to put you on their list of things that they're not <laughs> going to do to help you. So I, I'm not offended when anyone offers me a different price as long as it's a respectful price. And I've had plenty of people that have reached out to me and offered me a respectful price. And I counter and I'm saying, no, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, we are not accepting lower offers. However, here's a reminder of what is this piece offers. And I've had a message me back and be like, I appreciate that I'll take it. I just, you know, never hurts to ask. So it it's definitely something you shouldn't immediately be offended about if it's done in a respectful way. You will have people out there that will offer you 50%. Usually those offers do not get a response from me at all. So yeah. that's uh, something yeah. to keep in mind. That's totally out. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But I, yeah. I think two things. One is what you just said, uh, being respectful in mm-hmm. how you go about offering yes. or, you know, negotiating from the person who's trying to buy from a refinisher. But the mm-hmm. other thing I think it's really important to, for people that are shopping uh, and buying from refinishers is to understand that when you go in to look for a piece, and, and I know this goes without saying amongst the refinishing community, but you are buying one of a kind pieces. Mm-hmm. You, it's not like you're going into a store where something's been mass produced and you're trying to get the best possible price or it's a sale price, you you have to go in realizing that you're paying for really, in many cases, uh, three-dimensional art. Yes. That's really what it is. And so you have to understand that has tremendous value. And I think it's interesting, too, because those of you who have really excelled in the industry – that's no different than let's say somebody who's a painter, a canvas painter, and they're starting out Mm -hmm. new, they're kind of developing their style. Their Mm -hmm. prices are going to be a lot less once Mm -hmm. they become in demand and their name becomes a brand, a recognizable brand in demand, then those prices are just going to typically go up. And that's just the way it works. in most artwork. Mm -hmm. I could not have said that better myself, Lane. That's, that is the best representation of it. And that's what I tell a lot of refinishers too when they first start out. And they're like, well, I can't make as much as you can on a piece. And I'm like, well, there is a, a learning curve there. You know, you want to be yeah. valuing yourself, but also knowing that it's going to take some time to build a brand. You can't just go in, you know, well, I was going to use a phrase that social media probably wouldn't like, but <laughs> you can't just, you can't just go in there and um, expect to, to get what you want top dollar right away because you have to pay your dues, so to speak. So yeah. you, you want to earn that respect, earn that higher dollar. And as you grow that, then that profit will continue to grow as well. Yeah. yeah it's the whole work hard to be patient thing. Exactly. Right? Uh, because yeah, you, that's, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're, before we wrap it up, I have to yeah. get from you uh, one question that really can evolve into two. One is, okay. what, how do you see the trends changing like as you look at 2023 from a furniture finishing design standpoint do you see them change have they changed much since 2022 and then the second question is do you see what like what's your expectations of 2024 do you see it just being a continuation of 23 or do you see new things on the horizon that you think will sort of dictate a change well i think um to kind of sum that up in a nutshell i think 
that 2023 has been a huge year of really seeing a dramatic shift in getting away from, and I say this with respect because I know this, some people may take offenses. We're getting away from the DIY aesthetic. We're getting away Mm -hmm. from the farmhouse aesthetic. And I feel like that's been a very transitional year for us. As we're in capping 2023, I continue to see paint be prominent. However, it's going to be a lot darker, moodier colors. I feel like that very light and airy feel is kind of going out the window right now. Of course, trends change and it'll probably be back in 10 years, but (laughs) it's just the way it happens. (laughs) Exactly right. But um, I do think that this has been a very transitional year. I think as we're going into 2024, we're going to be really settling in that dark, moody aesthetic. But I also see over the next several years, wood becoming much more prominent. I think Mm -hmm. people are really wanting to see that wood grain and again not that there's anything wrong with paint i sell paint i love it but i think it's going to be a much more um balanced out market where it used to be just so much paint it was just like wood is terrible ah you know i think we're going to see a really good 50 50 aesthetic and what i really see among refinishers as far as trends going is quality i feel like everybody is really stepping up their game and they can't just get away with saying oh this piece is brown and now it's white and i can sell it like they're really stepping up the game on uh, quality as well. I think timelessness and elegance is really what everyone is striving towards at this point. Mm. Wow. That's, uh, that's so well said. Jennifer, you are um, such a um, pleasure to have on the podcast. Oh, thank you, you so always, much, Lane. Um, you're very joy-filled and you always share so much information and insight. Um, I want you, though, to share with our listeners, viewers, audience, how they can reach you if they're not following you. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a bunch of different platforms, but Instagram is always going to be where you see the most content. But you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or even TikTok. We've started building that. Our username is the same on everything to make it easier for you. It is saved by design dot tn it's all lowercase and you can also find us on our website which of course is www.saved-by-design.com you can just google the name saved by design and it should pop right up for you as well you can message us um, on instagram the best way is to email me on the website that comes through to me a lot quicker and it's also important to notate for refinishers that we are now offering phone consultations which is Mm -hmm. a huge deal and has been very beneficial for a lot of people because i miss a lot of messages on social media because they come in so much i try to filter through them but i miss a lot of them as well um so those are all going to be the best options for you yeah so Jennifer, before we close, do you have any plans to be 10, 15,000 feet up in the air anytime soon? <laughs> yes. In a couple of days. <laughs> I, I try as long as it's not raining and the wind is not too high. I'm jumping out of a plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, did, I, did I really, did I mutilate that, that height? Is it about 10, 15,000 no, no, feet? Uh, usually, usually 14,000 feet is full okay. altitude for us. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They do wow. offer higher altitudes, but just standard is about 14,000 feet. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, always yeah. uh, safety. Uh, be absolutely. Safe. And yeah. You know, when uh, this podcast airs, it will be uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Do you guys do a big uh, Thanksgiving dinner? We try to do a big spread. I love food. Um, Southern cornbread dressing is my favorite. I wait for it all year. So I'm I'm excited and I'll I'll be so excited for everyone to see this podcast. I think it's going to be a really good um, end cap for the year for us. And I think it shares a lot of valuable information, too. Well, we've enjoyed it. And uh, again, happy Thanksgiving and hello to, to your mom, Sheila, as well. Yes, absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Take care. Today's In Your Studio segment, we are doing something a little different this Thanksgiving week. We asked Heather with the Cozy Sunroom, Jesse with Cypress House Designs, and Cara with Lemons to Lemonade Furniture to share what particular projects or aspects of their work do they find particularly meaningful and that resonates with the spirit of thankfulness. Hey guys, Heather with the Cozy Sunroom here. Hope you all are well. I just wanted to take a minute and share one of the things I find the most rewarding and meaningful um, about furniture refinishing. And that is getting the chance to refinish pieces that were important to friends or family. Um, I often have people either 
give me a piece for custom work or they're gifting it to me because they just want to see the piece beautiful again and go to someone who's going to appreciate it. Um, that brings me so much joy and uh, I find it just so meaningful that um, the piece of furniture that was in a family member's home um, now gets to be in someone else's home and appreciated and loved for many years to come. Hope you and your families all have a very happy Thanksgiving. Hey guys, it's Jesse from Cypress House Restoration and Design. Several years ago, I watched a documentary called Minimalism, and that's where it hit me for the first time just how many new products are mass produced every day and put out into the world. After seeing it, I'd walk into the mall or a store and it could feel pretty overwhelming to think that all of these products may be used for a few years, but then eventually would wind up sitting in a landfill for decades. Something that I've always found particularly meaningful in my work in furniture and decor restoration is feeling like I'm directly participating in slowing that down. If if someone opts to buy something pre-loved, used, they're typically getting a higher quality piece that's going to last decades longer than something mass produced and it can be customized to fit your exact design style. I'm especially thankful this time of year to have my full-time job be something that aligns with those values and is also a pretty awesome creative outlet for me, selfishly. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Hey guys, it's Kara with Lemons to Lemonade Furniture. And this holiday season, I am extremely grateful for the friendships that I've made in this furniture flipping community. They have made all the difference for me this last year. Happy holidays, everybody. Hi, I'm Diane Williams. I'm the outreach chairperson for the International Decorative Artisans League, or IDAO. We are a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to the continuation and education of decorative painting. We're excited to announce our new website. I invite you all to check it out at idal.org, I-D-A-L.org, to learn about our roster of online classes, information about our annual convention this year to be held in early November of 2024, right outside of the St. Louis, Missouri area. We'd like to thank Zebra for their continued support of IDAL, and I wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. The Zebra Review category theme for November is Desks. Our featured judges are Jen and Amanda with the Vintage Sisters. If you have refinished a desk from January 1st through November 30th of 2023, simply use the hashtag ZebraDesks. Jen and Amanda will pick their five favorites, then the remaining judges, Jen with Perfectly Imperfect Furniture, Katie Cloud with Katie Company and Home, and Lauren with Portland Road Living will vote out of Jen and Amanda's selections to choose the three winners. This month's prize sponsors are Melange Paints, Lawless Hardware, Surf Prep Sanding, and Zebra Painting. Thanks for joining us. We are grateful for each of you. All links to artists will be in this week's show notes. We can't tell you how encouraged we are when we hear from you or when we read your reviews on one of the podcast directories. Speaking of podcast directory reviews, would you consider leaving one on your favorite directory if you haven't already? This helps tremendously in our ability to reach more people as well. It is a big boost to our ranking. As a thank you for leaving a review, we would like to send you a small gift. Simply screenshot your review and email it to me, laneball at enjoyzebra.com. Put podcast review in the subject heading and include your full name and mailing address. All of us at Zebra wish all of you a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.